Dave, before we get into anything, we've got to talk about your facial hair. Okay. It is glorious. Oh, thank and you. So hot. Oh, thank you. It's weird. It's I'm I for the listener, I'm doing a is this a handlebar? Is this I don't know what this is. This it's like it, a it, it does not do it justice to call Elliot. it a handlebar. It's uh, you know, it's the it's the square. It's the goatee that doesn't connect. It's the, you know, Fu Manchu we might have called it at one point wait in lean in a bit because i think maybe i thought i was seeing more beard than i am we, this yeah, is no, m- not really. mostly mustache and it's i mostly mustache and and, and some mut- i mean mutton chops is, is I, I guess know. what you would call them i just don't know um yeah it's it, i look like the traditional cut you would give a wheat terrier um it, it's just you know whatever it's a holdover from movember it's it's you know it's a it's a December things are stressful I'm just like I'm trying things out with my facial hair and the world's just going to have to deal with it. Um, oh, the world should be so lucky. As someone as I said to you who cannot grow proper facial hair, I am inspired. It's fun to play with. It's fun to play with, uh, and I could be on Yellowstone tomorrow if they called. Um, so all right, so uh, it is it's late December. This episode will be dropping on Christmas Eve. And Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, Christmas, Matt. Merry Christmas, Kate. Um, And I sit here a few days before Christmas Eve wondering whether I have contracted the Omicron variant. Um, I spent my week in New York City um, where, you know, it was a trip I planned around a couple couple work parties. Uh, You know, I'm I'm vaxxed. I'm boosted. There, LA is checking vax records at the door. New York is checking vax records at the door. Like this is going to be great. I'm safe as can be. Omicron news come out comes out. It, it's fine. We're not gonna we're not gonna react. I yeah. get in, um, you know, crowded work party, celebrating our best new restaurants issue. They check vax at the door. I feel fine. Whatever. See some people I haven't seen in a couple years. Uh, tightly packed in hors d'oeuvres, cocktails, the whole thing. Uh, next morning, get up. Uh, uh, hop on a city bike to uh, to Times Square to see the revival of Company Matt. Oh my see god! A sold out matinee of the revival of Company, which just as an aside is fucking great. Um, Can't wait! It's it is it's so fantastic. Um, Patty Lapone is of course amazing. Uh, there the uh, the flight attendant who is now male because it's like partially gender swapped. This uh, this production is. The hottest human being I think I've ever seen in my life. He's an actor named Claiborne Elder, who we need to get on this show. Um, it's it's ridiculous. Like he, the, he strips and his body fully qualifies as a special effect. It's like the chandelier in uh, in Phantom of the Opera. It's insane. Yeah. Um, it's fantastic. I cried like a baby. I was at a matinee surrounded by you know ninety year olds from Long Island. Um, another crowded work party that night and then a bunch of us break off to go to brooklyn steel to see lcd sound system sold out show super packed everyone jumping up and down uh and then thursday morning wake up to the news that literally everybody in new york city hits oh my god um it's one of these things they're calling it as our guest will will uh tell you in this episode they're beginning to call it the media variant because it's it seems to have spread wildly at some media holiday parties perhaps one of the ones that i was at i guess we'll find out so i am now back in los angeles i've got a rabbit test ready to go 
I said rabbit test. I meant rapid test waiting to go. Uh, I might go get a PCR, but it's, yeah, I, I truly, PCR. I've gone, you know, I spent two years of like, I'm going to be very, very careful so that I don't get this thing. And now my feeling is like, well, hope it's mild. You know, like it's, everyone got yeah. very fatalistic about it immediately. Um, and I, anyway, so by the time this airs, we'll know. It's now Schrodinger's virus inside my body. It's either there, it's not. It's actually both. I, I, I'm right there with you. As I, I say during the interview, literally the moment we sat down to record, I got a text that a friend who I was supposed to see tonight just received a positive test. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think I've seen her for a couple of weeks, so I, I might be in the clear, but yeah. it, it is alarming. We're recording this on Friday. We're uh, the 17th. I'm supposed to go to Canada on Monday. Mm -hmm. So in about an hour when I get my test. Oh, but this is what I wanted to say is that she had gotten a couple inconclusives from rapid tests mm. and did not get the conclusive answer until she took a PCR. So mm. mm -hmm. I think it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in mind. Oh, it's such grim news to start off uh, our, our Christmas Eve episode. I but I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to start with that energy. Uh, what else? Uh, happy things. Oh, uh, the guy's body and company. Claiborne Elder. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back to that. Go back alive, to that. Being alive. Uh, the ladies who lunch. Fuck. Patty Lapone's the ladies who lunch. Matt. Jesus. I've never. Oh. I've never felt gayer. Never felt happier. It was. Uh, I mean, the, the the ovation that she got. Like the ninety-year-olds from Long Island stood up. You know how much effort that takes? A lot. That's huge. Huge. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was something else. Go see it if you can. I, I'm gonna. Michael's gonna be there in January for work, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna come out to see him so we can also see it. Mm -hmm. Then again, as we know, a lot of Broadway shows canceling. Here yeah. I go, bringing us down again. Yeah, no, no, hey. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I mean, but, but look, we have the absolute best way to bring everybody back up, and that is this week's guests. Uh, the one and only Sam Sanders, you know him from NPR, his excellent show, It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders. He is just one of the best that we've got. Truly. Truly. He is, uh, I'm so glad we finally made this happen. Yes, absolutely. And so without further ado, this, this is our Christmas gifts uh, to you listeners. Yep. Sam Sanders. Rip it open. All right. We love it. Thank you so much. And, you know, we are at the end of a year uh, that has been rather taxing. Fun? Yeah. Fun. There were fun moments, but now, now is not an especially fun moment. Oof. Uh, what is your mental state at this particular moment in time? Which, uh, listener, we should tell you, is December 17th, 2021. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, I think probably about six months into pandemic life, I was mm -hmm. like, all right, I'm going to have to readjust my life to just fit this new reality because I'm not sure when it ends. And I fully leaned in. I'm, I'm like so in it now. Like I work from home exclusively. It's just that. And in accordance with that work from home life, um, I just went kind of full suburban dad. I'm renting a house now in South LA with a big old yard for me and the dogs. And I don't go anywhere. Great. And I'm just ready for the next lockdown and I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, I mean, that's an attitude I like to hear because it does yeah, feel yeah. imminent, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I think like there was that one month this summer where we all could like do shit. Mm -hmm. And I went to Europe and then Delta came and I was like, all right, shut her down. Shut her right Fine. back down. Shut her right yeah. back down. Yeah. All right. 
So do you have any holiday plans aside from from hanging out at home with the dogs? Uh, you know, I was never a really big Christmas person. Uh, growing up, my family was so Pentecostal that the only holiday that we thought was Christian enough was Thanksgiving. Because my mother was like, uh, Santa Claus is not in the Bible. We're not doing that. Wow. <laughs> so I don't really do Christmas, but... My boyfriend wants to do it, which is funny because he's Jewish. So I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. If we can figure it out, we'll figure it out. We're supposed to get a tree tomorrow. And I told him yesterday, I was like, I want it to be like a Hallmark movie tree situation. Like we go to the tree forest in somebody's pickup truck. You cut it down, et cetera. And he's like, I'm not sure it works like that in Southern California. We can go to Home Depot, to which I yeah. said, no, you will find me a tree forest. <laughs> I yeah. want a tree forest. I hope that you find I want that for you. Right. I really hope right. you find it. But now it's just like having to buy gifts with yeah. the whole like supply chain issues. Like I've been going to the mall to actually buy gifts in person and I hate that. Oh, I don't like that at all. I know it's tough. I, but yeah, even getting your tree after December 17th, you're living on the edge. I know. I know. Well, and then I was like because this is how much I don't know Christmas. I was telling Alex yesterday, I was like, and we got to get popcorn on, on the tree like they do in the movies, like popcorn on the tree. Where do we order that from? And he was like, sweetie, you don't order it. <laughs> you have to like thread the needle and thread through the popcorn yeah. yourself. Oh, to yeah. which I said, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing yeah. that. Yeah, It's painstaking work. I remember wanting to do that once as a child because I'd seen it in a movie. My mom was like, okay. And we, it took forever. And it was like, <laughs> never again do yeah. I want to. Yeah. yeah. That definitely feels more cartoon than real. I will say that. I've not, I've, I've mm -hmm. rarely encountered it in the wild, I think, because of the. The work factor. It just seems nasty. Like you're begging for ants, right? But Absolutely begging yeah. for ants. But yeah, there are some smaller private uh, non-Home Depot um, uh, tree lots. Some like some churches that are non-hateful that have some uh, Christmas tree lots that will maybe give you half of the Hallmark Channel experience okay. if you want to do that. That's what I want. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want. I yeah. really do. Because there are rows of trees. That's true. There are rows of trees you're going to walk through. Mm -hmm. It does. And there's music playing. It does. It can capture a certain moment if you go to the right, you know, parking mm -hmm. lot. Yeah. I want like a say yes to the dress kind of experience where there it's like, go. that one's too fluffy. That one's too small. This one's just right. What do you think, future mother-in-law? I don't know. Like, I just, I want, like, I need all of the, like... Song Perfect. and dance and pageantry, so if, which I probably won't get, but that's fine. Well, you might, you will get some of that, but then you will also be like the the people who work at the more independent tree lots are absolutely running carnivals for the rest of the year. So, so there's that kind of energy. Uh, yeah. It's uh, well, we certainly wish you the very best of luck selecting a tree. It's it's Thank so nice to have one, a happens. real one. It like makes the house right? smell nice. It's it's everything. exactly so exactly. yeah that's what i want at the end of this unbelievably strange year what were what was some of the uh the pop culture that got you through dua lipa yes she was my 2020 artist of the year and my 2021 artist of the year um i watched i think 12 seasons of Grey's anatomy this year Ooh. just because i had the time oh my gosh so about halfway through okay and I will never finish. I mean, after a certain point, you're just like, I don't care. Someone should shut this hospital down. Everything y'all do is malpractice. Everything. Yeah. And are you a crier? I mean, there's because there is there's a, a, a good cry moment in every episode. I kind of just watch that as a way to, like, deconstruct the way the writers of that show write. Like, it's so it, like it's such a weird 
study in like literature because there are some episodes mm. of that show that are so brilliantly written, like the season six, two hour long season finale where there's a mass shooting in the hospital. It's some oh, of the yeah. best TV writing you'll ever experience in your life. And then it's followed up by in season seven, the musical episode of Grey's Anatomy, which is some of the worst TV writing. And so I like right. to follow the arc of the quality of the writing and just be like, what were they thinking in the writer's room? So I'm never really just absorbing it emotionally. So I don't cry at that. My, my biggest cry this year probably was Pin 15. Ooh. Oh, my God. I, I, we, we got we got two more left, but oh, I'm just I'm, I'm trying to parse it out because it's so good. It, it's it's it, it kind of guts me every episode. And it's so it's so beautifully specific like some of the themes are universal to nerdy teens and preteens everywhere but some of the specifics of their lives and how they lived it uh, i love it and like they commit to the bit so wholeheartedly like it should not work these two adult women playing teenagers next to real teenagers it shouldn't work you shouldn't believe it but they right. sell it because they believe it you know i just love that show and you so forget much. their age immediately exactly Exactly. Also, like some of the things that make sense should not make sense. So like Anna Conkle's character has braces, but in real life, Anna Conkle has perfect teeth <laughs> and she doesn't yeah. need the braces, <laughs> but she has them and it works. And that show is just uh. so between that and probably was it this year or last year? I may destroy you. Those are the ones that just like sucker punch oh, me yeah. the most. Yeah. Yeah. Did you um, have you have you dipped a toe into and just like that? I didn't watch the original. Mm. So like it, and then I read all the articles about the crazy spoiler or not spoiler, just like the crazy Peloton plotline in the first episode. Yeah. And then the next day there was all the story about Mr. Big being a nasty man. And I was mm -hmm. like, I don't need to watch this. I really yeah. don't. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. Gotta keep As that. usual, Mr. Big ruins it for everyone, which the is time, the story right? of the show. So yeah. in a way you've already experienced it without watching. <laughs> I also was just like, you know, increasingly, these versions of New York that aren't real New York. I'm like, okay, like even from the start, you know, this blogger being able to afford that lifestyle in New York city in Manhattan, it was like, this doesn't make sense. And increasingly yeah. I'm like, even published if, author, best-selling author. Okay. I'm not, sorry yeah. to interrupt it. Just to be fair to, to carry, be fair. to be fair. Okay. That said though, it's like, I don't think these women would ever be a part of my New York city experience or life. So let me not watch them. At least with girls, I felt like, oh, yeah, I would actually be fake friends with those people. That's yeah. my vibe. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, them. People. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and just like that, they, 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 I, I don't know if it was a mistake or if they, they sort of knew going in, but they, it is a fully post pandemic New York. So they're acknowledging it, but it's always like, remember when we had to stand six feet apart? <laughs> I don't know if that's, I, you really can't win with that. It's like, I don't want to acknowledge it. I don't want to look at it. I also don't want to, Pretend that it yeah. hasn't, you know, I, I don't think there's a right way to do that. No, I'm still waiting for a really good drama that just captures perfectly like 24 or 48 or 72 hours in pandemic life. Yeah. Like I want a plot arc that's like one or two or three days where you have to deal with the school shutdown and scrubbing your groceries down and watching the Fauci press conference every day and just give me that slice of what life was probably like a year ago. Mm -hmm. I do want to watch that now. I think I wasn't ready for that for a while, but now I'm ready for it. Yeah. God, do you remember that scrubbing groceries? That wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah, we so did dumb. that. It, and like, remember, like, leaving your mail out for, like, seven days. <laughs> wow, yes. I mean, we just didn't know. 
we just didn't know. God, I had a like, friend who would microwave books. Like she, like she got a, a book from a friend, but then she microwaved it to make sure. And I'm just like, no, yeah. no. Yeah. God. Well, we made it this far. Um, Sam, we I made guess. it this far. I mean, how God. are y'all feeling? Um, like, does it feel like we're moving forward? I think with, with Omicron and the rest of the Greek alphabet, yeah. it kind of feels like last summer again. It's, uh, I just got back last night from New York and I got to cover this in, in the intro, but I got to see uh, uh, Omicron concern settle palpably over the city, like in real really? time. Yeah. Describe it. Well, I mean, beginning of the week was, you know, was business as usual. I mean, you know, Vax records are checked at the door. People are largely masked inside part of the time. Um, and then uh, and then it's, you know, once you're inside and you know that everyone is vaxxed, you kind of relax a little bit. So it was a lot of that. And then like whispers of like, oh boy, what do you think about, you know, it's Omicron or whatever. And then, and then one person's like, oh God, my friend just tested positive. And then another person says that. And then three more people say that. And then five more people are like, I just tested positive. And the lines out in front of the city MD kept getting longer and longer. Oh, no. And uh, I mean, just for testing, but um, but it was it just it felt it all kind of felt like stuff that would be happening in the background of the early parts of a zombie movie, you know? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> when I, as we sat down to record, not, I, I, not thirty seconds before I got a text from my best friend that she just tested positive. No. Wow. And I do, I'm I'm doing the math of like when I, it's been at least a week since I've seen her. It might be two weeks since I've seen her. Um, so hopefully I'm okay. I'm supposed to go to Canada in three days. Yeah. Probably won't oh, happen. God. <laughs> God. Yeah. I have a bunch of friends in New York um, who have started calling the Omicron variant the media variant. Yes. Because apparently all the journalist <laughs> circles out there, they're like, yeah, we went to the same three or four media holiday parties and mm -hmm. we all caught it mm -hmm. so they're just dropping like flies of course yep. they're not dropping because they're like we're we're boosted we're vax so it's kind of like a cold for a few days mm -hmm. but they're all kind of bragging and swapping notes about which holiday party they got it at <laughs> it's kind yep. of sad um and i might have been at one of those parties so i guess we'll find <laughs> out soon um it truly yeah. though i know I was, I was just gonna say the it, it definitely the vibe changed from um i hope i don't get it to, I hope it's mild. You know, yeah. like yeah. it was, uh, I could kind of see that happen uh, in real time. Mm -hmm. So, whatever. We'll, yeah. we'll see what the future holds. Yeah. Mm. What has been your, uh, like, as of late, comfort level with gathering and what's what's been your approach to like invitations to holiday hangs? Yeah. So, I mean, for the most part, I use this year and a half of pandemic to just really only see people that I want to see. <laughs> so, my circle is just smaller. <laughs> And by virtue of spending time in either Texas or Southern California, I could do mostly outdoor hangs. I have been doing more indoor restaurant stuff the last few months, and L.A. has been good about checking Vax records at the door. But, for instance, there's a colleague's holiday party tonight, and she has a big enough yard to keep people outside. But I'm like, eh, do I want to go? I don't know. It's going to be probably like 40 people. And I think it'll be fine, but it's also like, do I want to go? I think that, like, I have, and this is just LA, like I've been blessed because I can just do pretty much everything outside now. I got really into picnics during the pandemic. I got really into patio dining in the pandemic. Um, so I don't 
it's it's not too bad. I think if I were somewhere up north in the cold, I would lose my mind. But I'm pretty cautious out here because it's really easy to be pretty cautious out here because you can yeah. just take it outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never take that for granted again. Did you? Um, oh my God, yeah. Where, did you ever li- live the like roommate lifestyle? Because there are young people with roommates having to do this in that world. And I, I just don't yeah, know how no. you could. I mean, roommates in normal life are awful, but in mm-hmm. pandemic life, it's just sad. I heard horror stories from friends with roommates, but I thankfully aged out of roommate life many years ago. And the hardest part for me was like the first few months of isolation. I was in a studio apartment in downtown Los Angeles. And in the thick of the pandemic, when the protests began, I really didn't leave my place because there were helicopters. And at one point, Army National Guard on the streets, sirens all the time, and everything was locked down and you shouldn't go anywhere. So there was like a good week or two where it was like me and the dog in the studio apartment. And at that point, I was like, oh, give me five roommates. I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if are you a drag race person, by the way, Sam? Oh, my goodness. Can I tell you all my truth? And the last season I really watched, and this was years ago, was it who Raja? Which season was Raja? <laughs> Oh, wow. That, that, yeah. Okay. So it has been a minute. Yeah. As they say. Here's why I don't watch it faithfully because it, it's like, it's, it's hard to keep up. And like all of my friends that watch Drag Race, and that is most of my gays, um, it is a competitive sport and it's like fantasy football for gay people. And if you don't know all of the ins and outs, you will be shamed. And the, Mm -hmm. the commentary and dialogue around the show seems incredibly high stakes for a reality show. And I'm like, I would watch the show. I just am scared to be a part of the discourse. It's hard to be part of it, especially because the content around it keeps expanding and expanding. And there is so much. It's like, I can't keep up. Yes. Can't keep up. Well, the only reason I ask is that I'm, I'm, I'm curious about young Sam. And I was wondering if you were, if you had to do the thing that they always do on the finale of drag race, where they, you know, see a, a childhood picture of themselves and they have to speak to him. What would, what would you say and what would you see? Like, oh, who was wow. Little Sam? Little Sam. So I was a musician all throughout my youth. I started playing the saxophone when I was 12. Ooh. I ended up majoring in music in college. I was a band nerd. I was band president. I was drum major in the marching band. It was my life. Me and the saxophone, it was my life. So I, I'd probably point alto? to... Alto? Alto and then tenor and then soprano and then Barry. I played all of them by the end of it, but I started uh-huh. out with the alto. Yeah. And I would say the photo that's most me in my youth is like a probably seventh or eighth grade band photo from Woodlake Hills Middle School. I was holding my alto saxophone, wearing a tuxedo shirt and a burgundy cummerbund with these big, nerdy Steve Urkel glasses. And I think I would tell that young little Sam, um, stop fighting it. Take that saxophone out your mouth and put a dick in there. I don't know. Like, hey. <laughs> I think it was like just years and years and years of like trying to like not be gay, even though I knew I was clearly gay and everyone around me knew that I was clearly gay. I think like even my very churchy God-fearing mother knew too. And and like by the time it was just like too much to hide, I think everyone around me was just like, dude, just get it over with. So I think what I would say Mm -hmm. to that little young version of me is like, just get it over with. It's not, it's going to be better than you think. And uh, 
Yeah, you can yeah. play the saxophone regardless, gay or straight. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. I, I I did too. Um, oh really? Oh my goodness. And and, and what? Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, but I I never touched my saxophone again after my last time I played it was at my high school graduation. Oh wow. And I my version of the recurring dream where it's your senior year and you realize you didn't uh it, you know go to class all year long was um is that it's first day of senior year and i've decided to quit band and i'm coming in with the weight of having to announce to all my band friends that i'm no longer one of them no which was a thing that i always wanted to do and i knew i should do but i never had the courage to do it it's hard to quit band anyway, it's your life when you're in it's it. it's hard to quit band it's such an identity um yeah. but you you know you, you talked about it not it, it you know not being that bad once you did come out was that the case like in the yeah. early days? Yeah. I mean, one, I came up pretty late. I don't think I was, I didn't want to come out until I was like, no longer asking my mom to borrow money. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I kind of started Smart. coming out in earnest around like literally 25. And I had just finished grad school and I was in DC, a very gay city. So it just was fine. And over the course of a few months, you know, you tell this friend here and tell that friend there and then, and then, you know, start dating. And it, it, mine was a process that stretched over a few years. I think, I think like this was one of the things that I found annoying when I began to came to come out. There's very much this narrative around coming out that it's a one-time thing and a one day thing. And we have a coming out day and you know, when you tell the coming out story once, but in actuality, for a lot of us, you're constantly coming out. Yeah. to people and new people and coworkers and new coworkers. And like it, you're like, I remember years into definitely being actually gay. Every now and then a friend who I assumed knew would ask to set me up with a girlfriend of theirs. And I was like, I have to do this again. I have to do that. And probably the best part of having my own show on the radio is that I can just say I'm gay and everybody hears it. So like, let's stop talking about it. like, let's not, like, yeah accept it right like yeah. it was just weird how long i had to keep coming out once i was out that surprised me and the 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 little nbc after school the more you know specials don't tell you that no no that's it what did uh you said you know your your uh band saxophone eighth grade self was uh, was in the throes of fighting it what did what did fighting it look like what was your like internal dialogue like like literally staying up late because I knew what time VH1 would air the movie Fame, like at midnight or 1 a.m. And I wanted to see it or like secretly watching Rocky Horror Picture Show and lusting after all of them. And then like having to pretend to be straight at school in life at church. And I think what I didn't realize until much later is that like that was a lot of unnecessary effort expended. Oh, yeah. You know, it's kind of like, you know, like when you see a duck on the water, mm -hmm. the duck looks so serene. But if you could see under the water, they're paddling like a mile a minute just yeah. to keep moving. That's what it was like. I was trying to present this image of serenity when actually I was so tired of paddling. And so I think what I would say to my younger self is just like, relax, bro. You can like, you can just float for a while. Stop trying to swim. I don't know. Yeah. Like that. So much extra energy. And I think now, you know, fully leaning into like middle-aged gay uncle life, I guess. Like, gosh, it's easy. Easier, you know, yeah. to be open and honest about it's what a relief. you want. It's a relief. And like, 
I have fewer things to worry about. You know what I'm worried about today? I have to buy a fucking bookshelf and I want a cheap one. And that is like my big challenge of the day. My challenge is not how gay I'll look when I walk down the street mm-hmm. or whether I can hold my fucking boyfriend's hand in public. My yeah. challenge is, do I feel like going to Ikea today? That's great. God, that's beautiful. And that like that process, you know, <clears throat> when you are uh, when you are internally fighting it and just doing everything you can to appear, you know, quote unquote normal is so exhausting. Like, oh, my God. Don't know. And it affects time, every other part ooh. of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And like you realize all of that anger and all that frustration and all of that angst, it manifests in every other part of your life. I'm a better employee as an openly gay person. I'm a better colleague, friend, partner. Every other part of my life is better because that part of my life is resolved. And that's what I would say. This idea that you can compartmentalize everything like that's not how human that's not how humans work. You know, there was a version of this conversation, a very different version with, um, I don't know, a different tenor to it that Dave turned me on to, which is there's a podcast on Spotify called Daddy. Call Her Daddy. What is it called? Call Her Daddy. Call Her Daddy. She had Colton from uh, The Bachelor on to is with sort of his exclusive uh, to respond to all of the backlash from his his Netflix special and the way that he came out. Where are you with that? I remember watching a few episodes from the Colton season. So my thing with The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, like it is background TV while I'm cooking when I cook. So I'll usually consume like a quarter of a season, but that's it. Mm -hmm. But but I knew who Colton was and I was was like, you're gay. Like whenever there's like a gay, whenever there's a guy that comes on The Bachelor who doesn't want to like have sex with all the women, I'm like, then what you come for, buddy? You're gay. Yeah. So I just knew. And then I followed the whole scandal when the when the show was announced and it was brought up that he had like some kind of restraining order of some sort filed against him by an ex-girlfriend. So I just I didn't like that someone like him, who was as problematic and privileged as he is, was getting this platform in this reality TV show. But I said, let me watch. So I watched like the first 10 minutes of the reality show on Netflix probably last week, and I couldn't make it past 10 minutes because I'm like the first scene or two. The cameras are on him and his mother as he comes out to his mother. And I usually never feel bad for the parents who are having to hear their kids come out. It's like, deal with it. But I felt bad for her because she was kind of ambushed and that just felt icky. And so I don't like the show. I don't like the very idea of Colton Underwood sucking up all the air in the gay room. And it makes me mad. It's, um, yeah. I can tell you, Sam, that it doesn't improve over the course of the season. Okay. <laughs> um, it is, uh, it, it, the tone is, is truly strange and all over the place. And, uh, you know, mm. if it brings comfort to someone who is struggling, then I, you know, I guess that's a good thing. But the idea of somebody like immediately coming out and then being the face of coming out is uh, troubling. Because that is such a long yeah. process. Yeah. Like I'm 50, and my 18 year old self is just beginning to make sense to me. You know, mm-hmm. like my behavior yeah. at the threshold of the closet door is like I'm just mm-hmm. now being like able to interpret it. And you can't you can't just turn that shit around like uh, exactly. super duper quickly. And, and yeah, coming out to your parents on camera honestly begins to feel like a consent issue. 
You know, oh, it's nasty. And like yeah. I was yeah. telling a friend watching that show, I was like, I watch all kinds of shit, all kinds of documentary. I've seen death happen in real time on TV. Mm-hmm. This felt more transgressive. Like it yeah. just felt. Why would you put your mother in that position? Yeah. There's like it's just it felt mean. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and listening to his interview, there, there. Well, the one thing that sort of struck me is if we are, and this will sound insane, but if we if we are able to put aside for a moment the entire restraining order, you know, scandal, is there value? You know, I, I I always sort of just have like an immediate knee jerk kind of repulsion to like guys who look like Colton coming out talking about their struggle. It's like the the gay world is loves you like you're exactly what everybody wants to sleep with you know what i mean like you're sort of exactly uh like i'm not worried about your struggle but then this was the first time that it was like well is there any value to like guys who are football playing bros who are in the like full throes of toxic masculinity which i never was but like is there any value to them seeing someone who looks like them and and that they can identify with I, I don't know sort of where I land with that, but this is the first time that that even really, yeah, you know, occurred to me. I mean, I think what would be more interesting would be to see how Colton moves through the world as a gay man who looks like him a year from now. Mm-hmm. You know, what I find is that the Coltons of the gay world, the the cisgender presenting kind of heteronormative default pretty blonde, tall, muscle-bound white gay guys, they do this thing where, like, they have to come out like the rest of us. But then once they enter the gay world, some of the very toxic masculinity that was a prison for them, they turn around and subject the rest of us to those systems and structures. And it's those same dudes who will end up on grinders saying no rice, no spice and thumbing their nose at people who are too femme to be around them. And so I would love to see what someone like Colton does with his cis white male pretty privilege when he is functioning in the gay world, because those things are still very real in the gay world. And some of those some of those very sometimes. <laughs> This is how do I say this? We can oppress ourselves and we can oppress our own communities. And I would love to see how someone like Colton dealt with that and those issues. But I don't think he has the wherewithal to grasp that kind of complexity. <laughs> so I don't want to watch, actually. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Was there was there Sam? Was there like a, a figure in the culture who, for lack of, of better terminology, was your Colton? Was there like someone who like was out who made you go like, oh, okay, there's okay. That's a life that I can lead. I remember being obsessed with the real world. Yeah. And I was always so happy when they had gay characters, because if you'll remember, they didn't just have gay characters. They had some bisexual characters and not all of the gay characters were like heroes and martyrs. Yes, there was Pedro from San Francisco, but there was also bisexual Stephen from Seattle and there were others. And like they gave you this really kind of expansive view of gay life and they proved that gay people could live around straight people and it was fine. And I think a lot about seeing the totality of gay life i mean in a in a reality tv sense of it but it felt real like what was was it the new orleans season where the gay guy what was his name david and he wore that gray sweater all the time and he Mm -hmm. was just boring 
And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, gay is going to be boring too. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. Uh, are you in on uh, the real world homecoming? No. Okay. Which season is doing a homecoming? Well, they did the first season did the first season of homecoming. Um, and, and they got the original seven people. Um, even Heather B? Even Heather B, Sam. I love her. Especially Heather B. I gotta B. watch this. Exactly. Yeah, no, she's so her. good. She's so good in it. She's, and, and she's like on air on Sirius XM all day and like oh. just so, such a good radio personality. She's amazing. I love her yeah. so, so much. Uh, but yeah, but they got the original cast back. It's, it's interesting. It's frustrating. Um, but it's a very interesting watch. Now they are in season two with the Los Angeles cast. Who, who are, was on that one? I'm trying that to remember. Was Tammy, um, oh, who yeah. has been on reality TV on and off ever since, and it really shows. Um, <laughs> uh, David, that was the one where like the uh, like the, there's a tussle over a blanket. And, oh, and yeah. fight about it. Oh my it. goodness. And then he has to go home. And then he has oh, to go I home. remember that. Yeah. So that that's was a mess. Like the first cast that had an inkling of what the show was about and how to get screen time. And mm-hmm. and it's like, and watching them come back with no connection to each other because all they did was fight in the original season. And all they do is fight in yeah. this one. Um, it's <laughs> like it's like watching seven people process trauma like in real time it's pretty heavy did you like it did you like it uh it's hard to watch i'm like i'm recapping it so like i i kind of have to watch (laughs) i don't but i don't think i would if i didn't have to it's it's pretty it it feels yeah it feels a little feels a little icky it's interesting but it feels feels a little gross so mild recommend yeah it's so funny or not sad's not the word but i remember that first season of the real world it was critically acclaimed. It changed yes. the game and yes. it felt full of humanity. Yeah. And now you flash forward to like season 17,000 of the real world road rules. Yeah. Maximum Red Bull challenge. And it's yes. like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fine. Yeah. The entrance to the house is like through the hot tub. You have to like, you have to like <laughs> hit the ground having sex with a housemate and you yeah. know, otherwise yeah. you're not going to get screen time. But yeah, no, that, that first season is actually like really slow and deliberate and interesting. And, um, and then, and so then, good. yeah. And then season two, it was like this, you know, you could tell the producers were like, we don't want this to be a fluke. So, and, and mm-hmm. everyone remembers the conflict parts of the first season. So let's just have an all conflict season. And it's, it's not, I remember, was it the Vegas season where they like literally lived in a casino? Yes. And I, I remember the rumor was that they would pump extra oxygen into all the rooms to make them horny. Oh my God. And I don't even know if oxygen does that, uh, but I remember <laughs> hearing that being like, yeah, sounds about right. I don't either. Isn't that the rumor of what, that's what they, the, that's what they do in casinos as yeah. well. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Right? Just make you kind of a little, it. yeah, a little, little more lightheaded. Feel a little, little up. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get to keep you out on that floor. Yeah, it's there it's you a, go. It's a strange thing that that particular television it really experiment. It but yeah, really it's on Paramount Plus. Oh yeah. Okay, I might check it out. You should. Sam, you mentioned growing up super duper Pentecostal, and I know you said that you identify as a Christian. Uh, then that church is not a regular part of your life. But how how would you you know sort of describe your present day relationship to faith? Yeah. Um, So I was raised Pentecostal, very, very strict black Pentecostal. So to give you a sense of 
what the church was for me growing up. Um, the women in our church could not wear jewelry or makeup or pants, and they could not cut their hair. Um, men and women, we couldn't go to dances or the movies or listen to any music besides Christian music. I remember having to beg to go to my high school prom when I was in high school. It was that severe. We never wow. did sleepovers because my mom was like, you have a home and a bed. So we were just really separate from like the rest of the world. Um, but I always loved the church because music was always there. Um, I was in the church band as soon as I could remember. And we had a big sprawling full band in the spirit of like the Blues Brothers. Everyone played by ear. Nobody read music. It was just this very communal, spiritual experience that I loved and kept me coming back. Um, the older I got, I just realized that I needed to be away from church to figure out how to be gay. Um, and I miss church, but I haven't really gone back. But I think in my adult life, once I left the church, I kept just kind of waiting to become an atheist. Like I kept waiting to like say to myself, well, I don't believe in God anymore. And it never happened. And I think over the course of my coming out and experiencing adulthood, I found prayer even without the church just helpful and edifying to me. And like the idea of God has always been a thing that I like and I've believed in. And so for that reason, I guess I'm still a Christian because I haven't been talked out of it yet, you know, but I think that my relationship to God and what God is has changed over time. I think that like I accept and believe God as more than just like a personality or a person or a, the idea of personhood. It's like God is the universe. God is that fucking tree. God is your best friend to laugh. God is whatever. Like God is goodness and God is beauty. So like God can be everywhere. Um, and also like my version of God is just incredibly inoffensive. They're there when you need them. Hmm. They don't cast any aspersions or judgments. It's just cool God. Not a regular God, a cool God. Uh, so I still pray all the time. I still think about God. Um, I would like to go back to church one day if the music was good and the doctrine was, you know, open and affirming. But what I found with churches, with Christian churches, is the churches that have the best music have the most repressive doctrine. And those that have the best doctrine have the shittiest music. <laughs> and so it's like, how can I get both? How can I get the best of both worlds? But when that church happens, someone let me know and I'll go. Uh, but yeah, I'm very much a Christian. And there have been moments in my life when I've been like at my darkest and needed the most help. And the people that came up, the the folks that showed up to save me and my family were church people. And the things that gave me the most solace in the darkest points was usually prayer. So for that reason, I'm just like, well, why would I not believe in God? It's been helpful. <laughs> Worked yeah. so far. Yeah. Yeah. And you really, I, it, it, it's so true. It's like when you go from being um, part of like a, like a re religious community to the queer community, it, would seem that uh, becoming an atheist would go hand in hand with that. Like that's kind of like the natural evolution, and it is for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think that it doesn't even occur to people sometimes that 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 is not you know a mandatory part yeah. of the process. Yeah. Well, and it's like when you're free to like define your deity on your own terms outside of the scope of a church, you can make it whatever you want. Your God can be whatever you want it to be. Right? It's very personal. Um, I remember who I interviewed years ago, Sia, the songwriter and singer, and we talked about belief. And she was like, yeah, I, I, I believe in God, but I just, I just call him whatever, dude. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, in my mind, God is just called whatever, dude. And when I pray, I just say, whatever, dude. 
And I was like, okay, girl, you do you. But like, that is the beauty of, you know, finding your own theology. It's whatever the hell you, your God could be Courtney Kardashian. I don't care. You're doing it for you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you were raised in a, in a, a church that uh, frowned upon haircuts, the, did you get any, (laughs) any messages about, about homosexuality or was it just like, that is so far beyond like, we're not even going to discuss. The, the church definitely evolved. I think when I was a kid, it was very much like homosexuality is wrong. And I remember uh, hearing sermons about it. And I remember over the pulpit, you know, hearing, you know, jokes about gay people, gay people are bad, et cetera. There was one point in my young life where like one of the ministers, I think, tried to like pray away the gay and everyone mm-hmm. was like, huh, that's funny. <laughs> Not going to work. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah it was it, it was pretty anti-gay. The older I got, they began to talk about it less because I think the whole church realized like the world is moving in a certain direction yeah. <laughs> and you, you, this is what it is. Um, but yeah, there was definitely, it was acknowledged that like gay was bad, but in the same regard, my church was very open and welcoming. There were two members of our church when I was a kid. Um, their story basically was he used to be gay, but then he wanted to be a Christian. So he married a woman, but he was still very clearly gay. Mm-hmm. And his name was Brother Lonnie, and he had contract he had contracted HIV, and I think his wife got it too. And they came to church faithfully as he withered away. And I remember as a twelve year old seeing him be lighter and lighter and skinnier and skinnier every week at church. And he came to church until he died. We did the funeral for him. Everyone loved him. His wife still kept coming to the church. And no one really talked about it. So on the one hand, you could argue that my church was homophobic. But on the other hand, they held this gay man as he died of AIDS and loved him, right? And so I always, for me, it's like, it's always a lot more complex than you think. And it's easy to say that people who were this or that or say this or that are, are like dumb bigots. But most people aren't actually dumb. And most people contain complex multitudes, And even for me as a gay youth, whether I was out or not, but as a gay youth growing up, there'd be times where I was made fun of at school, public school, for being too effeminate. But the one place that never happened was at church. Like, you couldn't bully somebody at church for being gay. You had to love them. So on paper, I think my church was anti-gay. But in reality, it was a place where I, as a queer youth, flourished and felt supported in spite of the doctrine, if that makes sense. And that I totally think to this day, they loved me the best way they know. They, they, they loved me the best way they knew how to. They were trying their best. Weren't we all? Yeah, it, it would be almost too easy for you to kind of just turn your back on it completely because it is, you know, it, it could be spun as a very oppressive environment that you escaped. But you do you seem to embrace complexity. I feel like it, is such a it's like at the heart of your show even though you're having like difficult conversations uh, sometimes there's always like a lightness and a humor to it and that you're bringing people in and there's an effort to expand the conversation and talk to people who might not necessarily agree with you but because i am someone who too quickly writes someone off as a dumb bigot how do you not do that i guess is my question you know 
I think one of the parts of my Christian upbringing that I still hold on to very closely is this idea that because we are made by God, there's at least a little bit of God in all of us. And if that is true, then our assignment as students of the world, as journalists, as whatever, is to make it a point to find a little bit of God in everybody every day. And so for me, it's like, how do I have, how do I have conversations that accept that there is a little bit of the divine in all of us, even the folks that I don't like? How do I have conversations that accept that like people can do better and be better because there's a bit of God in them? How do I accept this idea that like everyone can be trying and, and can grow and can move forward? So I think like for me, a lot of the way I approach the show and talking about hard topics and talking between factions of disagreeing people is to say one of the tenets of my Christianity is this belief in the divine and this belief that all of us can be divine and that all of us for that reason can be good and be better. And so the work is to get us there, right? Like the work is to tap into the God within us and not the devil within us. (laughs) And so if the conversations get there, one, people will like them more. And two, it might get some knuckleheads to maybe act a little bit better. That's the goal, right? That's the goal. So it's, 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 you know, yes. at its core, it's like, how can I see the best in people and things? And how can I be an optimist in the face of like depressing news? I think another thing is just like, I find ever since honestly, 2015 or 16, the news has gotten depressing in my opinion. Like if you listen to the news for more than 10 minutes, you're depressed. So for me, when I was making this show, one of the challenges was like, how can we talk about the news and just not have it be depressing? How can there be a spirit of optimism and, and, and uplift in every chat? regardless of the topic. And that also to me is like a bit of an acceptance of the divine. Like there is good everywhere and it's okay to feel good. In fact, we're built to feel good. We're built to be optimist. We're like our human nature in order for us to survive, we have to have some things to believe in and some things to look forward to. And I like that as a challenge. How can I turn the week of current events into something uplifting? Let's fucking do it. I I am ready to uh, join your church when you are ready to start one. <laughs> I love it. We will only play T-Pain. Dua Lipa. Yes, and her too. Yeah. T-Pain and Dua Lipa. The church of T- T-Dua. T-Pain and Dua Lipa. Where is that collaboration already? Come on. I uh, want it to happen. Now, I did hear talk of a boyfriend. Yeah. It's not a bad Sam, thing. It's pretty good. Tell Tell us everything. Everything. Okay. Um, we met before the pandemic, but got serious once vaccines began to roll out. So early in this year, mm-hmm. it's going well. He's met my family. I met his. Nice. Our dogs like each other. We vacation so well together. Uh, he can cook well. Um, I can fold laundry better than he can. Um, it's nice. I can wear a lot of his clothes. Um, that's why you become gay to get two wardrobes. That is exactly it. And they don't address it in coming out, Colton. And I think that's a real problem. They really too. don't. Um, they really don't. Yeah. How did you meet? We met online and I remember we like hung out once or twice before the pandemic hit. And I was like, I like you. And he was kind of like, I like you. And then he was talking about possibly moving out of the country for a while. And I was like, well, whatever, dude, that's a sign. Go, go forth. Goodbye. F you. Then the pandemic happened and he didn't leave the country and he was just around. And we just kind of reconnected when the first little shots of vaccine were rolling out early this year. And we had a, a, like an official date. And I remember it was still when you couldn't go inside. So I, we were eating 
at Jelena in Venice, but we ate like on the street because they had the tables like on the street in that moment, you know, because you couldn't eat inside. And it shouldn't have been romantic. We were like next to traffic cones and it was kind of cold, but it was a little romantic thing. And I was like, all right, I'll keep you around, dude. And it's been going going strong ever since. Um, I like him. He is a therapist by trade, which is great. He just knows how to have good conversations and difficult conversations, which is very helpful because I'm someone who's really good at being a good communicator on the microphone, but off the microphone, it's a different story. So uh, it's a it's a good pairing. It is good to be a good communicator on the microphone when it is your job. I've heard. Um, <laughs> how did what 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 would drew you to him initially and what do you think um, drew him to you? We we have similar t- we kind of like the same music. We we're like right around we we've experienced he, he's 38, I'm 37. And so like our our pop culture timelines are 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 pretty linked. And so all of the pop culture references that I get, he gets in the same scope, you know, which is helpful. Um he's just as sarcastic as I am. And one of the ways that I show love is just like by teasing folks that I love and like everything is kind of an ongoing bit and he never drops the bit. He will extend the bit. He will, he will yes. And every joke that I make and it's always hilarious. That's so important in therapy and in life to have someone. who really <laughs> Yes. Do. Yeah. He's a yes. Ander. Mm-hmm. And like, I am, I'm kind of like, I'm not scatterbrained. I'm a little crazy and I'm a little like all over the place sometimes. And he's just like, cool with that, which is great. And also he, he, um, he's a heavy sleeper and I'm not. So it's great. Like he'll go to sleep and I'll just get back up and like watch Netflix for a few hours. And he didn't even know it's perfect. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. Right. The ideal situation. What was, I, I know that you used to get, or maybe I'm, I'm sure you still do get just hounded to sort of talk about your dating life. So obviously, <laughs> only in so much as you want to discuss this, but we always ask people like, what, how would you describe your dating life? You know, pre pandemic, pre meeting Alex. Pre pandemic, pre meeting Alex. It was, it was always like the end of a Michael Bay movie, a <laughs> lot of lights and fire and explosions, but ultimately it signified nothing. And you forgot the plot. Yeah. <laughs> like, Mm-hmm. It was unnecessarily chaotic. I think for years I was just dating the wrong people the wrong way. And and would you say if those in those explosions were you were you generally the the detonator of the bombs or uh, just a witness to the person who was I was a secret bomb. silent quiet bomb. Mm-hmm. I'd have these men believe and everything was going well, and then I'd be like, huh. "Oh, you didn't know that I'm a grenade." Boom. Oh, wow. I would blow shit up. Oh, my God. There, It was and just like, then I would be the, kind of like, what, me, huh? I didn't do anything. What? what, what? And yeah. And then, but it, it went both ways. Oh, my God. There, who was uh, Blair? I thought I was dating Blair for six months. He had a fiance the whole time. Sam. Just like, oh, my God. Listen, I, God, there was a time. Oh, I'm telling you way too much, but I don't care. I ended up with somebody who was unbeknownst to me actually married to a woman and then he was like i think i'll leave my wife for you and i was like i think you won't yeah and did he did they stay together girl they got three kids oh sam kids i know 
I just like had that energy that like attracted problems to myself. Mm-hmm. I really did. Mm-hmm. Like every man that I drew in, something was wrong. They were either an alcoholic or afraid of commitment or chronically depressed or married to a woman or all of those things. And I think that in part because like the energy I was giving out was I'll never get close enough to a man to really make him a real part of my life. And as long as I was putting out that energy, I was going to get people who actually couldn't fit into my life. And I think and it was helped a lot by a few years in therapy and the pandemic, which is just time to sit still and think. But I I came to like realize, all right, what I want is an, a fully integrated life where my romantic partner is a part of my life and I'm a part of his universe, send it. And then the universe did, you know, not to be all woo woo and Marianne Williamson, but like that shit's real. It is I real. manifested is what I'm saying. Damn right. You did. No, that shit is real. <laughs> well, Absolutely. because it's like people can pick up on that shit. People know if you're serious about dating or not, people can tell. And because I wasn't serious about dating, I was picking up these guys that were also not serious about dating and it was just a mess. And now I'm serious and it's been great to be serious. What about y'all? We are both shacked up separately. Uh, I've been with a, uh, a lovely gentleman. He's a composer. We've been together 16 years. Ooh. Wow. Out making noise in his studio right now. <laughs> uh, Matthew. Very nice. I, I, uh, eight years ago, uh, met a guy who had just gotten here from Canada who was truly, and I'm not being self-deprecating, deeply out of my league. And I disoriented him and sort of like distracted him and kept him from looking left or looking right <laughs> and like snagged him before he could realize how much better he could do. Damn. And by the way, people who know both of us are like, that that's true. It just is simply true for better or worse, but, um, it has worked out in my favor and we're getting married in May. Congratulations. Also, always good to have a Canadian in your corner because mm-hmm. push comes to show. Yes. They can yeah. get you across and up to there and you can get that free healthcare. Mm-hmm. I, I I was ready to go back when you know when. <laughs> yeah, and he was like, I just got here. Please, <laughs> Sam. I, I, this is like so, truly the perfect holiday interview because yes. it does feel like a gift to us Aww. to uh, really? our listeners. I, I, I so appreciate you uh, giving us the time. I'm honored to be here, but this was a delight. Let's was, make yeah. it a, an annual Christmas tradition. I'm in. Great. Sign me up. Great. Then we'll see you next Christmas, if not before. Sam Sanders. Homophilia is a World of Wonder production, produced and edited by Kate Moldenhauer. Special thanks to Randy Barbato, Fenton Bailey, Stephen Sims, Edward Bochniak, and the whole team at World of Wonder. We love you. And theme music by my Ben Wise. Yes, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HomophiliaPod. You can give us a five-star review uh, on Apple Podcasts. Mm. Thank you for listening. We love you. Hold up. 